Well, uh, today is one of those holiday days. It's not an actual holiday, but it's a day that you know is going to be a holiday. It's the Sunday before the Sunday before school. Uh, you know, I, I've probably heard of ten different, ten different families who are going to go camping or going to be out of town or uh, at the beach or they just got to get away once. Now, I know, I know I knew this day existed before I was a preacher, although I've been paying attention to churches um, for a long time and I, I, I would have learned it eventually. But before I was a preacher, I knew that the weekend before the weekend before school was a big holiday. That July 4th was the big time when people were traveling. I knew this because I worked at McDonald's. And McDonald's uh, typically is a, is a wonderful place. People, are, people coming in are happy. They're excited about fries and biscuits and whatnot. Not at the same time, because we're not heathens. But they're excited it's only when they're leaving that they're full of shame. But when they come in, they're excited about their food. They're, and usually, it's a pretty happy place. We had a guy who, in Dequeen who would walk in and just hold up two fingers. Like, give me two burritos again. I'm coming for my two burritos. That's all. He, just, he had his regular. I want two burritos. One day he came in and hung, held up one finger. We thought, oh, that's sad. Now, he, uh, all, all these guys, they'd come together, they would, they would talk about uh, politics and um, I don't think anything else, sports, the Razorbacks, things they, they wished were different but weren't. Both of those things. And it was a happy place until the holiday came. Because when the holiday came, July 4th, and then the weekend before the weekend before school, we got travelers, people passing through the McDonald's into Queen. And I used to think, this is my theory before, I used to think that people were meaner in that time period because they are meaner, but I thought they were meaner because they didn't care. I mean, this wasn't, this was the people they were, they weren't ever going to see me again and they can act however they want. Nope. As this was in 1999. They, uh, they were with their kids. Without DVD players. Without iPads. Um, some of them without air conditioning. They were with their kids. The whole morning. In a confined space. And they'd woken up that morning with their shoulders in a normal position. And over the morning, it had just gotten up. And their face tensed up. And now they were ordering at McDonald's. And if you didn't get it right, they were going to take all of the pent-up frustration that they had developed in the car with their children 
out on this faceless hippie in front of them at McDonald's. And that happened so much on these holiday days. People would come in, they were so, they, they were their true self. When we are anxious, well, we're our truest worst self. Anxious, upset, frustrated that things aren't going your way. Once was in line for break because when you uh, you could get fired on the spot if you brought KFC or Taco Bell into the break room at McDonald's. That's true. So I was waiting in line to get my McDonald's on break at McDonald's. And I was done, and there was this guy here and my, my cousin who had just started, and it's scary to just start around this time, um, was dealing with um, a gentleman of sorts. And she said, um, I'm going to have to give you your chain, your, your dollar change back in quarters, or $2, $2 of change back in quarters because I'm out of ones. And she handed it to him, and he, he was, you know, that's, you know, it's men, when we get grumpy, just grunt and groan and are silent. Oh, yeah, okay. And uh, I got my food, and I was getting my drink behind the counter, and I heard him go, where's my change? And, she's, and she said, I, I, I gave it to you. He goes, no, this is a bunch of coins. Where's my dollars? She's like, well, if you count those up, she, my, my cousin is really sweet. She's really quiet, brilliant, and gets, can get really frustrated with not-so-brilliant people, but doesn't know how to express it all that well. So she'll, she's like, um. And I stepped over there, and I said, um, she gave you eight quarters, which in this county means like $2. He goes, well, I wanted ones. And I said, well, we don't, she doesn't have any ones. And so to get the last word, he said, y'all better find some ones. <laughs> so me and my manager started lifting things. Like, well, okay, well, ones, where are you ones? <laughs> Shonda, at first I didn't know if that was you or your raccoon. I apologize. <laughs> Shonda had a raccoon this morning. I don't know if we counted her in the attendance, but that counts. On these days, that counts. So, I knew I was going to work the raccoon in at some point. People are um, mostly awful. If you've ever worked in public, for the public, we've got two pharmacists here who know for a fact, people can be the worst. And it's often when we're Stressed out, anxious. If, if your relationship is struggling, if you're, uh, if, if you're having trouble with a kid, like if, you're, if your kids, your, your relationship with your parent or kid, is that, that's in trouble or your marriage is in trouble, you can come up with new fun things to do all you want and create good moments all you want. But unless you're creating health in conflict, 
you won't actually improve the relationship. Because it's when we are arguing, it's when we're frustrated with each other, when we're anxious, that we, that we have our worst moments. That's when we come out. My, my Irish temper came out, which I don't even know if it's a thing. But we'll, we'll blame it on other things. Say, oh, it's, I, that's, that's not really me. Well, it is. It's part of you, at least. And Paul makes the same argument about just the human condition. In Romans chapter 3, he start, we'll start in verse 9. What then? Are we better off? He's talking about the Jews. Are we better off? No, not at all. Paul says, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness. There is not even one. Their throats are open graves. Ouch. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing. Paul, Paul here, real quick, he's, he's taking the worst insults from the prophets and just chaining them together. He's just using all of them. He's using all of the ones that he knows. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery are in their paths. Man, if you've worked for the public whenever they're coming through your life, if you, you know what it's like to be in the path of ruin and misery. The problem we often have is we're not all that aware when we're creating that wake. When, we're, when we are the ones bringing ruin and misery to, pe- misery to people. When we are the ones making life worse for the people around us. Now, we all do this in one way or another. We, all of us aren't perfect. We all make mistakes. We all struggle. We are all our worst when we are at our worst. But we can't just discount that as me while I, you know how I get when I'm hungry. We can't just let that go and not treat it like it's a part of us. What we often do is we'll take other people's worst moments. That guy I had that discussion about dollar bills with, for me, that's all he's ever been in my head. But that morning, he was probably like, kids, let's go. We're going to McDonald's. They have sausage biscuits and dollar bills. He was really excited about dollar bills. He was going to show his kids the do- he was really disappointed. But a lot of times, the worst we, the, we'll take someone else's worst moment and make it their only moment. And we'll take our worst moment and make it sort of just a thing that, I don't know, sometimes I get hungry. Sometimes I'm tired. And that's not fair. I'm not saying that the, the worst moment is not real. It, it's real. 
But we need to acknowledge that we are that way too. When you've cornered somebody and you're trying to manipulate them into agreeing with you about the fact that you disagree with that person, when, you, when you're calling someone and saying, hey, did you hear about this person? What happened with them? Oh, man, it's horrific. We should pray for them. Here's the details. You can't just insert the word prayer into gossip and make it okay. We are, we are at our worst regularly, and we should know that that means we aren't great. It's, that's, the, that's the starting point for the gospel. It's the starting point for Paul in Romans, where he's, he's building and he's going to tell the gospel slowly, and he's going to get to Romans 8 and knock it out of the park. But he's got to start with their mouths are full, their mouths are open graves. For a Jew, that means everything that comes out of them is unclean. And he goes on. Ruin and misery are in their paths. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. All I find out by reading the law is where I've messed up. And listen, sometimes church can feel that way. Sometimes it can feel like, ah, man, I don't have this all together. And we associate that with a negative feeling. But that's a great feeling. That's good. You, it is wonderful to know that you can't earn it and you're not gonna. It's a great place to start in the gospel. Because I need a savior. Hey, turns out there's a savior. Turns out somebody sent his son. God sent his son to die, to live, to die on a cross, to be raised again, and he is now king. And because of his kingship, we can be saved. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested attested by the law and the prophets so the law and the prophets weren't like saying here's how you get saved it was pointing to something else now this is what church is right so we as a church do things certain ways so that we can point to the gospel but when we make the gospel the things that we are when we make holy the things that we are doing to point to the gospel instead of the gospel itself then it's no gospel at all we can make church more important than the thing church is supposed to be pointing to. And he said, the law and the prophets, they, they pointed to the Messiah. They attest to the Messiah. But they weren't the thing that could save us. Our traditions, our opinions are not the things that will save us. Jesus is. And we're, we're not good enough to make it on our own. So we need, we need Jesus. 
We need Him. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a neat little play on words here. The word uh, for sin was adopted by, I think, Plato um, from an archery metaphor. So, and it, wasn't, it, was, it was when you missed, but it wasn't just a certain type of miss. It was when you, you had aimed properly. And I'm, I'm veering out into territory y'all know about and I don't know anything about. But when you've aimed the bow properly, like in your sights is the bullseye and you still miss when your sights are off, when you miss because you're faulty. It's not that we weren't trying hard enough or that we didn't aim properly. It's because our sights are off. We sin and just like an arrow to a bow, to a a, um, bullseye or a deer. Do deer have bullseyes painted on them? I don't know. But when, when we sin, we fall short. We've missed the mark. We fall short of the goal, which is glory, the glory of God. And we, are, we all fall short of the glory of God. And here's also what we are. We are justified freely, without cost, by His grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We need to be a group of people who recognize that our throats, our mouths are open graves. That in our path is is a wake of destruction and misery. We need to recognize that in ourselves. One, it will keep us from being so rude to people that we recognize it clearly in them. It will allow us to say, yeah, we're all in this together. We're all in this brokenness together. But two, it'll allow, it's the starting place for the grace of God. It's hard to give a car to someone who doesn't think they need a car. It's hard to give a gift to someone who doesn't need the gift. It's hard to show grace to someone who doesn't think, who thinks they can earn their way to God. You cannot earn your way to God. And if your attempts your whole life, have been to earn your way to God, then you will fail. You will fail without Jesus. You didn't die for you, and you can't come out of the grave without the one who did. So, We have been saved freely. Why do you think that we spend so much time trying to make ourselves look pure and holy. Notice I didn't say try to make ourselves pure and holy. Although that's a, that's a wonderful pursuit. In the name of the grace of Jesus. It's a wonderful pursuit. But to make ourselves appear pure and holy. Why do we do that? You realize when you do that, You can't tell the gospel from that position. You can't tell people about the grace of Jesus from a perfection. It has to start in we, we all fall short. It has to start with in my wake is misery and destruction. I leave those things in my path. I hurt people's feelings to get my way. We 
have to start in our brokenness to tell the gospel. But if we insist on letting church be perfect, perfect people in their perfect places, then there's nowhere to go. They don't tell. Have you, have you ever noticed, uh, we were watching a movie just the other day. Um, have you ever noticed there's rarely two parents in, uh, in a cartoon movie, like in a movie about kids? So uh, it was Little Mermaid. The girls were, I wasn't watching it. I was listening to it in the, in the van because that's how we've evolved as humanity that we don't gripe out McDonald's workers. I was listening to it in the van, listening to Little Mermaid and heard King Triton say, oh, I, you remind me of her, your mother. I miss her. Why? Because King Triton's wife died. Elsa's parents died. Moana has both of her, her, her parents, but her grandparent, her grandmother died right at the beginning. Spoiler alert. Over and over again, there's just one parent in all of these movies. They do this because in, in writing, you, you need something to over, you need your hero to have to be an overcomer. And if they, right out of the gate, they have a, a difficult situation. Not, maybe not that the parent is dying, but that they just have one parent. That's, they get that. And so we are, like they, they recognize this person is fighting and it's just in them. They won't say it out loud, but they know intrinsically that this person's up against something. Movies need, and then they'll, they'll make it further, they'll further along the story by saying, Oh, here's an insurmountable thing that's, that they've got to overcome. They're trying to overcome this, this one thing, and they've got to overcome it, and then they almost do, and they don't. Oh, no, they didn't overcome it, and then they do. Yay! That's, all, that's every Disney movie right there in, in uh, interjections. The reason those stories work is because something was overcame. You need, no, no one watches movies about a guy who's thinking about getting a bike. And then he thinks, maybe I shouldn't. And then he decides over lunch that he should. That's not worth the victory. That's not a story worth telling. Well, I've always been good. I was raised right. And, you know, I'm just a sort of a good person, so that, that helps. Try to treat people the way I want to be treated. Yeah, and Jesus died for me. That's a piddly little story. But your story of genuine brokenness and serious sin, all sins, serious sin, being overcome and you're and your death itself being overcome by Jesus. We all, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And now sometimes people will say, oh, but pay, make sure to pay attention to the last part, and we are all justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Absolutely, pay attention to that last part, but the first part makes the last part interesting. 
Because unless you have the first part, you don't, you don't need the last part. Unless you're falling, sinning, and falling short of the glory of God. Now, Paul will at this point later say, oh, should we keep on sinning so the grace may abound? By no means. But unless you're starting with the fact that you are a sinner and you, on a regular basis, fall short of the glory of God, your story about the grace of God is going to be null because you don't need it. It'd be like saying, the other day I was making a Pop-Tart and then a, a lifeguard came in and rescued me. Why, why'd he do that? Because he's good and he loves me. Well, like from the Pop-Tart? Well, you know, probably has less riboflavin than I need. I looked that up. That's factually accurate. Why? That'd be a horrible story. It didn't make sense. Jesus, the grace that freely saves us makes no sense without the humanity that is falling short. You need to be more open with people about your brokenness so that you can be open with them about your salvation. Because your salvation without your brokenness just seems like we're flaunting unearned something we're not we needed grace we needed to be justified we needed to be saved unless people know that about us they won't know that the salvation is so powerful if you are a sinner and you think you're the only sinner here that can happen in church a lot of us are wearing khakis I get it. You can feel like I'm the only sinner in the room. You are not. Even in a room as, as um, not as well populated as this one. This is about our lowest Sunday of the year. I can guarantee you there's someone else in this room who struggled with the exact same thing you have and has been saved by the exact same Savior you've been saved by. Or you will be saved. You're not alone. We're all. We have all sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. Destruction has been in our wake. All of us. But Jesus came. And in his wake comes grace. And peace. Mercy. Salvation. Love. Forgiveness. Kindness. Faithfulness. In him comes all sorts of things. If you would like to abandon the old life for the new one. Or maybe maybe you need to come forward and proclaim. That's what people who come forward and talk about their sin, you know what they're doing? They're proclaiming how awesome God is. God saved every single one of those who've come forward. Maybe you need to just confess or need prayer. Or you want to join with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. I just My voice just cracked. Real hard. You want to join with Jesus in, your, in his death, burial, and resurrection. If you want, if you need that this morning, don't, don't let Satan keep you from coming forward. Please come forward while we stand and while we sing.